There we go. What's up, folks? We are back after a, a bit of a hiatus. Of a hiatus. Ooh, let's see that in stereo. <laughs> I remember uh, one man. time years ago, went on a little few day trip up to Newport, Rhode Island. We were younger, you know, in some of the bars and everything. And there was this guy who was like on basically like a moped. He had this big top hat on. Hair looked like this guy. I was like, this is basically Little John's doppelganger. And uh, as then I went on, you know, everybody's drinking. Him and I became like fast friends, right? And like towards the end, I was like, oh, you know, I, I kept saying, I was like, yo, that guy looks just like Little Way or, or excuse me, Little John. <laughs> towards the end, my buddy just looked at me. He's like, dude, he doesn't look anything like him. <laughs> anyway. Oh, man. Anyway. I, out of curiosity, is this in reference to one of my posts on Facebook? No, maybe or no. No, maybe, maybe it's a little fruity, and I didn't realize it. But yeah, so it, it would have been a while back, or not? It wasn't too long. Probably within the past couple of weeks or so. So there's um, first off, welcome back. It's good to finally do one of these again. I know. I think the last one what, I like did was like half? my return from COVID and like beating a life-threatening illness. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Now it's it's good to finally be back. I mean, just been a really wacky just in personal lives, especially. I mean, I, I can't speak too much for you, but I know for me, I've been extremely, extremely busy with this job. So, yeah, man. Um, I mean, this is something that we do on the side. It's not our main hustle. Yeah. You know, there's got to be other revenues for income that actually provide and put food on your table and keep the lights so on and pay for you, internet. You need to, to support like this. this. Yeah, you, you mean to support this bad habit, right? This one where we just vent off and, you know, go off into Never Never Land and, and who knows where our topics go. And I was thinking about it earlier today. I was like, you know what? There's so much better streams for news, right? But the thing is, is that when you go to these news outlets, you're getting those news perspectives. You're getting that spin. Everything is influenced, right? There's money coming in. And, and it's just like one thing that I think you and I have done a great job of doing is just kind of splicing away the nonsense, just saying like, okay, this might be the news, but what's behind it? You know, kind of yeah. pulling back the cloth and just saying that, you know, it, you know, I think you said it best, you know, going back to one of our first podcasts where it's just like, you know, all these politicians, they put on a good show and everybody has their their stance. But meanwhile, at the end of the day, you know, they're paying grab ass, as you like to say, and, and going out and sharing drinks at Capitol Grill. You know what I mean? Like, this is just, that's their day job. And granted, you know, I mean, I, I wish... I wish a lot of the fraternization that went on behind the scenes actually went to made it to the floor because then we'd have like a little bit more moderate discussion and we wouldn't have yeah. this polarized divide. You know, I came across an article today and it was talking about basically how Democrats are becoming this endangered species and in, in whether or not they're just going to become extinct at some point because they were labeling, they were talking about an area of, I think it was Pennsylvania where, you know, it's largely been a Republican area but as time goes on and the left goes even more wonky left, I mean, you and I have talked time and time again yeah. about like how Bill Maher, I've actually become a fan of him because he's calling out his own, you know, his own affiliation, his own party where, you know, it's just becoming crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you know? compared to his like far left, his far left colleagues, he's like a fucking evangelical Christian, to be quite honest. It's just crazy. Like, and and I mean, to to be fair, he he's still you know he still considers himself to be a Democrat or a liberal, but more so in the classic sense as opposed to, you know, this more modernized, progressive, ultra far left, you know, nutbag, nutbaggery. I guess we'll say, yeah, uh, that I mean, some it, of these other people have turned out to be. Jesus, yeah, yeah. But this area in in Pennsylvania, they were saying that it's become so because the left has gone so far left and off the deep end, you know, for most uh, examples that we like to get into here, they've basically polarized themselves completely. Whereas, and you know, the the numbers are dwindling as far as people that are actually affiliating themselves with the democratic party anyway, but Uh they're, they're becoming afraid to even, you know, I think in the article it said that the, uh, People that typically align themselves with the Democratic Party are now removing bumper stickers. They're taking down whatever signs they might have, anything that identify them as being such. They're just getting yeah. away with it because they don't want to be known as that. It's great. Because it's just gotten to a point. And I mean, like, I get it. If you don't, if you're not really for, you know, ultra conservative politics and you're not for, you know, I mean, I guess you could consider you know, you consider conservatives to be more religious and all that other stuff. And I, and I know this is an overgeneralization. My wife and I actually got into a bit of a, a mini argument at dinner about generalizing people for certain things, not stereotyping or any of that other crap, just, you know, just overgeneralization of, of different things and in, in, in oversimplification of terms and political affiliations and all that other stuff. But I mean, when you look at a lot of a lot of, you know, like what, what the what the Democratic Party has really turned into and what it really represents is. Um, it's like just just completely, completely off the wall policies and 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 rhetoric and everything. I And the, the surprising thing about it is that, you know, within the past couple of days in in. In all honesty, I mean, when you see San Francisco go to the or you know go to the extent of, of recalling three of their of their seven school board members because of their just ridiculously far left policies of renaming schools and other woke crap uh, in place of actually you know putting together the, the correct policies for students and schools and stuff like that. I mean, that that's kind of, that's a bit of a wake up call for, for, for a party who in the past few years has really gone. And I know we keep saying it, but like has literally gone completely off the deep end. So I, it's, it's just, I, I could see where people who traditionally have been Democrats don't want to be affiliated with, with this, like this communist, style of ideology and just just this this craziness because you know regardless of what you know the ideology of the day is for for the far left it's it's like they they keep cannibalizing each other and i think this is probably what you're what you're somewhat alluding to is that 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 party is is really dwindling down because they they just they keep attacking each other They, they they keep eating away at each other it's like you know, you, you can't be woke enough to be part of this of this ideology, and it's just completely turning people awake. So, like, all right, I, I get what you're saying, 
but now you're kind of taking it to a completely whole other level. I mean, when, 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 when Ilhan Omar, okay, of all people, ridicules the Canadian government, right, as of recently, and I know that we haven't really put this as a topic, but I guess we could okay, talk we about it in a bit. Um, what, when, what, when she's criticizing the Canadian government for freezing the bank accounts of these, this freedom convoy and all these truckers part of this freedom convoy over there, that's kind of telling, <laughs> you know, of, of all people, Ilhan Omar is, is defending people who just, just want an end to certain types of mandates up in Canada. Uh, it, it just kind of tells you that this, you know, the, this ideology really doesn't hold water for long. It can't, it, it just, it's, it's non-sustainable because when you keep going in that direction, it just, it, like I said, it completely eats itself away and, and nobody survives it. So why bother continuing with that when it's when it's that ridiculous to begin with? Wouldn't it be funny if these truckers just kept trucking away and then they they ran out of gas, but their assets were frozen, so they couldn't fill up their tanks, and now they're just empty <laughs> semi trucks sitting in the middle of the road, can't go anywhere. Yeah, how ironic that would be. So I've got a little uh, seventeen ninety two today. Jesus. Yes, it's funny. The ironic thing is, it says small batch, but it's the like a giant jug. It's like a Costco size version of it. It's really not. It's really just a normal size. Seven fifty. It's typical size. What is it? Bourbon. Absolutely, my friend. Nice. Nice. Got a little squeak at the beginning too. Yeah, it lets you know that the the cork is real. Nice. So I got, I still got my, my bottle of ammunition. I actually haven't touched it since we had our last episode. Um, I really like this one. So I think this, this will probably be one of my go-to from here on out, to be quite honest. Um, so yeah, if anybody has a chance to try it out, highly suggest ammunition, straight bourbon whiskey, finished in Cabernet Sauvignon burial, yeah, burials. Yeah, it's, burials? Bur- it's buried. Barrels. It's buried. Yeah. Hopefully you don't say. drink too much and then you end up burial. <laughs> Solid. Love it. Love it. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, we're going to do a traditional cheers. Yeah, salute, my friend. Salute. Salute. Nice and smooth. It's pretty fucking good. I'll have to try that one sometime. <sighs> yeah, so I so, mean, what, what, do, what do you want to dive head into head first? What do you want to dive into head first? First, Good well, God, there's plenty. <laughs> I'm sure the bourbon will help. I uh, <laughs> I feel like you've been really, really impatient and looking forward to talking about this new bird flu that's coming through. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting? I can't though, say I'm impatient. No, but you, uh, you you've sent me several little uh, tidbits about it over the past couple of weeks, so I figured, yeah, you know, why not? Why not start with that? But the thing is, is that you know you have mentioned a little bit of it here and there in the yeah. the last couple episodes, and you know, one thing that you, a lot of people don't you don't pay attention to things like this until it really starts to directly affect them, and 
you know, we're starting to see that, especially, you know, before we even get into this, you know, the one of the, we'll just kind of pull back the reins a little bit, you know, you're just talking about how people are, are starting to kind of distance themselves from like the Democratic Party, for example. And I think a lot of the reason mm-hmm. for that is because, you know, we're starting to, we're really starting to feel the effects of this administration at the gas pump. Um, you know, I was about to bring up this bird flu and, and how it's affecting like the Tyson plant, for example, where they're they're expecting to have to exterminate 240,000 birds because of this. Uh-huh. Like, you know, that is definitely going to cause uh, a little bit of a little bit of hurt at the uh, at the cash register when you go to pay for your groceries. Something like this is is you know it, it's inevitable. Like you know, it, you you can't avoid it. It is what it is. You know. And unless people want to stay away from antibiotics for, for their food, I, I understand that. I get it. But, you know, um, illness is something and pathogens is something that goes through all species, not just humans with COVID. But, you know, I mean, uh-huh. you could shed more light into, you know, what the flu exactly is in this instance. But, you know, um, I know I'm between like two different subjects here, but really, yeah, you know, a lot of people are they're kind of, you know, People can't even buy cars. You know, I got somebody who yeah. was looking to, to lease a car and they called the dealership. They're interested in the Pathfinder. Listen, we got 14 coming in next month. Problem is 12 of them are already sold. Two of yeah. them you can get, but it's the ones where like there's every single bell and whistle. So you're going to end up spending $90,000 on a Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plus, you know, everybody's trying to get something. So these are the problems that we're running into. The supply chain is still greatly affected. The gas pump yeah. is greatly affected. They're saying that this conflict over in Ukraine is going to affect us too. Like it, it's just, yeah. it, it's spiraling. And as much yeah. as people wanted to get away from Trump and they wanted to get away from, you know, his, his nasty grams, if you will, you know, every time you turn around, I mean, we've joked about this. The guy, for all intents and purposes, you know, he was an entertaining president. He was. But he had a penchant for putting his foot in his mouth. He he, he certainly did. There's no way around it. Yeah. You know. But it's just. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, no, I, I get it. Would I be mean, rooting for a losing team. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I don't know. I I, I don't have a good analogy for it to be honest. But and I, I get the animosity toward Trump. It, it like. I was listening to Glenn Beck yesterday morning and he had Trump on for, I, I don't know. No, how but many. what I mean about rooting for a losing team is, is even with like the democratic party where, you know, prices are on the rise. People aren't happy. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to get away from that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, I, I definitely, I, I, I get what you're saying there. Um, but it's, it's like what's happened to this, you know, up until, you know, I guess you could say this past election is that there was animosity toward him just because of his demeanor and stuff like that. And I get it. I mean, the guy just doesn't know how to talk and he, he uses a lot of, a lot of, he says a lot, says very little at the same time. He, he uses a lot of words and he's a salesman. <clears throat> he's a salesman. He's an entertainer. Um, he is. I mean, his real estate is yeah. how he became, you know, the mogul that he is, you don't get into real estate, make money by not selling. You know, he, no, I, I, I get what you're saying, but what I, you know, in my experience in, in dealing with a lot of people, uh, incredibly intelligent people is that, you know, the more intelligent you are, the less you actually say, 
and the the number of words that you use are are relatively small compared to somebody who and I, I catch myself doing this. Somebody who's well, yeah, nervous. Because you're able to drive the point home. Right. It's a more direct route. Exactly. As opposed to kind of dancing around something if you don't know it too well. I'm, I'm guilty of it. I, a lot of people are guilty of it. Well, we'll see. Um, I think there's an expression that you actually told me one time and it stuck with me. And I, I, I use it from time to time. It's, you know, if you can't blind them with brilliance, dazzle them with bullshit. Yeah, or maybe I said that backwards, but it's basically you can't dazzle them with brilliance, blind them with bullshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Learned that about twenty years ago, and it still sticks. Yeah, that's probably when you told me. <laughs> probably, yeah. It's probably the only thing I remember from twenty years ago. Um, no, it, it's it, I and like I said, I, I get it. The guy's he's a turnoff, just like his presentation. And like the thing that bothers me is that there's people that are still diehard Trump fans and. They would they would literally throw themselves in front of a, a moving bus if they had to for the guy. And I, I just I don't I don't understand the attraction toward the character, toward the person. Policy wise, generally speaking, he's pretty solid. Um, I mean, the economy was in good shape at that point. Now, you could say covid kind of messed things up toward the end, but that's. That's to be expected. Could yeah, he have done worldwide. better for that? It's not yes, something I think that so. Specific exactly. Brought on by himself. Exactly. I, could he have done better for that to prepare the country for it and to mitigate as much of a disaster as it, as it was? Yes, he most certainly could have. And I, I don't want to say, you know, in hindsight, you know, everything is 2020. It's it's that I, I think he just had this this combative attitude toward it as opposed to really looking at it objectively and being very realistic with the American people about right. it. I think we but could I have think been in that, much better shape. But I think that, you know, like you say, battling, I think a lot of that comes with basically, he was always at war. He was always at a at an argument, at the precipice of, a, a precipice of an argument with the media just anytime he entered the room, it was like they were right. just looking to scald him. Whereas now we which have is somebody fine. who won't even take questions. I mean, yeah, and which is fine. I mean, I, I could understand if somebody wants to wants to, you know, somebody's trying to constantly get at you. But if that's the case, you should be hyper vigilant in in understanding that and understanding that no matter what you do or what you say, they're going to try to pick everything apart. In my experience, when that occurs, you play the game as best you can. As soon as you show any sort of sign of weakness, they are like great white sharks after blood in the water. They can right. smell it and they will pick at that wound as much as they possibly can until they, they tear you apart with it. But he, he, fell, he, he fell victim to that time and time and time again. And it just, it was just a constant, it was, a, it was like a, a positive reinforcement. I don't, and I don't mean that in a good way. It was a positive feedback loop that, that that occurred where he would just he would feed into it and it would just go back and forth and keep escalating constantly. And he just wouldn't back down. It's like he didn't understand that, that they were purposely trying to tear him apart. So he kind of played into their trap constantly. Yeah, because and anyway, it was just, I mean, any entertain any attention was good attention, bad attention. It was just entertain. You know, it was just him getting attention basically at that point, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I and I, I totally get that too. But I mean, having said all that, I mean, he's been out. It's it's you know, 
it's over a year at this point and things just aren't looking good. I mean, you could blame it on the pandemic. You could blame it on this. You could blame it on that. Uh, I mean, gas prices are certainly higher than they were last year. And you can say it's not, it's not Biden's fault. And it, it's, you can't say it, it is in general. Um, but, uh, you know, policies do lead to economic consequences altogether. So although, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't snap his finger and changes the price of gasoline policies that you put together that reduce the amount of, of, of um, petroleum that's extracted from the ground here within the United States could certainly affect gas prices. And so that's, that's a consequence of it. Now, you know, you have some people who, who will say, I don't care. I mean, as long as the environment stays clean, I don't care how expensive gas prices are. Then, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with somebody's opinion like that. If, if they're, if, if they truly believe in that, then, then, you know, that thought process, good or bad, whatever way you want to interpret it, um, is, is justified. You, you, you are completely aware of the consequences. Um, so I, I, I can respect those opinions. The opinions I don't respect are the people who will just, you know, automatically deflect any blame whatsoever, because then it's not, it's not genuine. It's, it's completely unrealistic. And it's it, all it is, it's, it's, you're just deflecting and you're trying to point the finger at somebody else. You're trying to basically um, deny everything and make counter accusations is pretty much what it comes out to be. So, but it is what it is. It is what it is. And that's something that we're stuck with as far as, you know, petroleum costs and, and such, but let's just bring it back to, uh, to, to this flu thing, because this is like I said, you know, this is just like COVID we mentioned with, with, yeah. you know, uh, prices of things in, in conjunction to just, you know, COVID falling under the presidency of Trump and uh-huh. how he was affected by that. But now, um, Turkey uh, and, and basically poultry costs are expected to be on the rise. Yeah. Poultry operations in Kentucky and Virginia were confirmed to have birds infected with a highly lethal form of avian flu. Federal ag- agriculturals, uh, the uh, officials said on Monday. Days after flocks of turkeys in Indiana tested positive, raising worries about a wider outbreak in the country. So this is the place that I was just talking about. Um, uh, Fulton County, Kentucky had 240,000 chickens and in a backyard flock. Well, I, don't, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But nonetheless, that's... A, I had no a, idea 240,000 chickens can fit in my backyard. It seems that's like a, a ridiculous backyard. Amount. I don't know what kind of golf course you live on. <laughs> but nonetheless, I mean... There was. This is just after twenty nine thousand were destroyed in Indiana alone, yeah. um, and this is the firm case, the first con- confirmed case in commercial poultry in the United States since twenty twenty. So two years since that. Now not only do we have twenty nine thousand that are put away, now we got two hundred forty thousand that are getting put away. Yeah, uh, this is going to cause a major, especially a larger company such as Tyson, who yeah. is basically responsible. Like when you deal with companies like that, a lot of times they have offshoots that are kind of like. Uh, you know, more lesser known brands, if you will, you know, that kind yeah. of operate underneath their, their, their company mm-hmm. license or, or label. Yeah. It's a lot of people to feed. Yeah. And, um, and this has been going on for several months before it even hit North America. So this has been going on throughout Europe for probably about a good four months or so. You gave this one. Um, I did uh, quite a few months ago and, and I, 
And the reason why, so you know, let, let's let's go back in history a little bit. So I, I want to say it was back in 2005 when H5N1 avian influenza, which is this is the the same strain of it, it might have mutated a bit over the years, but generally speaking, um, it's it's considered to be H5N1 um, avian influenza. Now, what's what's H? What's N? What the hell are these numbers? So H it stands for um, hemagglutinin. So hemagglutinin is a type of, um, of antigen that's found on the outer envelope of the influenza virus. N stands for neuraminidase. Neuraminidase is another antigen. It's another enzyme that's found on the outer envelope of, of avian or, or of influenza viruses. Um, there are 16 different hemagglutinin uh, variants, if you will, or variations um, and there's nine different neuraminidase variations, variants, whatever, whatever you want to call them. Um, obviously they can make many different combinations. You can, there, I'll go through a few that have been mentioned over the, over the past few years. So the 2009, um, um, swine flu pandemic was H1N1. The 1918 Spanish flu was H1N1. If I remember correctly, the 19... 57 avian flu or sorry asian flu was h2n2 if i remember correctly the 1967 or 68 hong kong flu i think was h3n2 um in our seasonal influenza vaccines currently are the 2009 h1n1 pandemic influenza strain the uh, h3n2 seasonal influenza or influenza subtype a um there's over the past few years, H7N9 has been reported, um, H5N6, H5N5, H5N3. There is a report about 10 years ago of H3N8 canine influenza that killed over 150 um, harbor seals in, in Boston. Uh, these, they just all washed up on the shore. You probably find an article on that years ago. And if you go to the vet, you get your, your dog vaccinated for canine influenza, they get the H3N8 uh, canine influenza uh, vaccine. So there's a lot of different variations for that. And then there's, you know, it all depends on what species this particular uh, strain of influenza infects. There's, there's avian flus, there's swine flu, human flu, feline flu, flu um, canine flu. There, so like I said, there's a lot of different variations and different species that it can infect. So H5N1 uh, was detected back in 2005, and it is considered to be an avian influenza. Now, I, I'm no expert in, in influenza. So um, far, you sound but, like one to me. <laughs> well, I mean, to the layperson, yeah. To the infectious disease community, I probably sound like a dummy, to be honest. Um, but <clears throat> H5N1, uh, uh, this, particular, uh, this particular strain is considered to be an avian influenza. Now, there's genetic testing that they do to look at, at different genetic sequences to tell somebody if it's a human influenza, if it's an avian influenza, swine, feline, whatever, you get the point. So this particular one, H5N1, was detected back in 2005 uh, in Southeast Asia. And uh, there were multiple reports of it going through um, a lot of uh, chicken farms uh, and, and going through any sort of poultry flocks uh, throughout the world or throughout Southeast Asia at that time. 
And over the years, you could kind of see it migrating over time. If you were to kind of track it over the over the years for the for the next like five to seven years after it was first detected, it migrated westward. So it went from Southeast Asia um, to mostly mainland China, and then from there kind of spread to more Central Asia, from there to parts of the Middle East, Egypt, northern part of Africa than parts of Europe as well. And then I want to say probably like around 2014, not that it, it completely went away, but it, it's almost like it went dormant. It was kind of strange. Like you really didn't hear much about H5N1. There were other strains of, of, of influenza that were detected and reported on, like I said, H, H7N9, H9N2, uh, H5N6, so on and so forth. Um, and and then periodically you would see a pop-up here and there it's detected in, in birds and all that other stuff. And then probably about five to six months ago, I started seeing uh, reports internationally of this particular influenza strain starting to pop up more. And it wasn't in Southeast Asia. It was actually more so in Europe. Um, and it was like literally day after day after day, I'd get, I'd get Twitter alerts of, of this, of some, some news article from, from, in, from anywhere in Europe, Czech Republic, Russia, uh, Great Britain, Italy, Germany, Spain, France, didn't matter what country it was like, it was everywhere. And you'd say that they're calling 60,000 birds, 70,000 birds, 200,000 birds, backyard flocks, everything birds, you know, various wild birds showing up dead uh, from, from this particular, from this particular influenza strain. And I said, it's only a matter of time before it reaches North America. And if it does, I, I truly worry that's going to, at the, at best case scenario, it's going to affect our poultry, our, our food source here in North America. It's already affected other parts of the world. Um, now I say that as best case scenario, and the reason why I say that as best case scenario is that this is an influenza strain that is highly pathogenic to birds. Um, but if spread from bird to human, it's also highly pathogenic. Uh, most, most strains of avian influenza are highly pathogenic to humans. There are some that have low pathogenicity, but generally speaking, most strains of avian influenza are highly pathogenic, uh, meaning that they make you very, very sick. And mortality rate is, is typically fairly high. So like, you know, people kind of scoff at COVID as saying, oh, well, it's only a 2% mortality rate. Um, in the early days of H5N1 cases of human infections, I've seen mortality rates as high as 60%. Okay, so three of every five people that contracted this thing would die from it. Um, very, very concerning. And the reason why I bring that up is that this is probably the one pathogen in the world that everybody is on the edge of their seat about. And I'm not saying that as of recent, um, this has been the case since the thing was discovered back in 2005. Um, a lot of experts throughout the world, WHO, CDC, uh, the European CDC are, are, you know, on edge about this thing. They, and they have been for the past 15 to 16 years. Um, it, and the reason why I bring that up is that it's, if it still holds true to what it was 15 to 16 years ago, this influenza virus 
is maybe a couple mutations away from where you could have sustained human to human transmission. Okay, kind of like COVID. All right, now with most uh, zoonotic pathogens like this, so zoonotic means that it's, it's spread from animal to human, um, it, it's, it's a couple mutations away from that occurring. And if that, if that occurs, you will have another pandemic on your hand, unlike anything we've ever seen before. I mean, it would probably make COVID look like a walk in the park. Um, 1918. What would, what, what brings, what would transmit? So this thing that you said, it started, you were seeing it a lot in Europe, right? Yeah. So how does it transform from being something that's primarily in Europe to something that now we're seeing in the United States? And then beyond that, how, what needs, what factors need to be in line for it to transmit from a bird to a human? Um, just human bird interaction. I mean, simply hanging around with birds. And I'm not saying like, you know, you have no, a bunch like of a birds farmer. that you're friends with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Having backyard chickens. Although it'd be interesting um, to be friends with birds. <laughs> having, you know, having a bird feeder that you go to on a regular basis that you're, that you're, you know, touching and everything else. Uh, birds, birds harbor a lot of different pathogens. Um, that can potentially be dangerous for human beings. Birds are disgusting. They they kind of are, to be quite honest. But especially from from the case of, uh, or especially from the perspective of, of of influenza. And the thing is too is that if you if you get if you have the perfect scenario, which we were kind of we're still in right now in in the winter months here in the northern hemisphere. Um, if you have a bird with with avian influenza and you have a human with human influenza, and they intermingle with one another, it could, they could actually form like a, 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 a hybrid avian-human influenza that can, is not only highly pathogenic, but now can infect humans very regularly and can be spread from human to human. So that's, that's the danger that, that you see in all, or that, that can come about in all of this. Now, it, it, you know, if you have a 60% mortality rate in, in a pathogen like this and you have sustained human-to-human -human transmission, I mean, you have a potentially um, mass extinction event on your hands, which we haven't seen in over you know, 12,000 years with the last asteroid that hit Earth. Well, we got the uh, like other plagues that kind of ravaged through Europe in the you know centuries yeah. ago. I mean, not just asteroids coming and killing all 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 life like dinosaurs, you know. Well, remember, like so, so the Spanish flu had about only a two percent mortality rate. Okay, that was so that compared to sixty percent. Yeah, two percent versus sixty percent. Yeah. I remember, I clearly remember reading a case report of a family, I want to say in Vietnam, Vietnam or Thailand, back in the early days of the H5N1 um, outbreak that occurred. And again, at that time, it was still only bird to human transmission. It wasn't sustained human to human transmission. And of a family of six people, five of those people died from, from that influenza. Okay. So that's a... You know that that's that's catastrophic. 
It's interesting. I saw maybe a couple of years ago, I think maybe it was PBS that did a, uh, a little documentary talking about the Spanish flu and getting into it. Uh, there, there was parts where, you know, they were talking to survivors of it and they were talking about how, you know, it was just interesting. Like his, there's people that woke up and as the day went on, they, they contracted progressively worse and ended up dying. Like there's people that woke up healthy that day and ended up dying of the flu by the end of the day. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, there was a lot of comparisons because there was people talking about how, you know, the caskets were just basically in a pyramid down the street by the, whatever the mortician's office or whatever the carpenter was that was manufacturing these caskets. And there was kids that were playing on these, on these caskets, Jesus. not knowing, not knowing that there were actually we'll call them customers inside. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's, that's like there was crazy. a young, this girl, she was a young girl at the time when she got it. And she's like, yeah, I didn't know. She's like, I, I, I was just like a little kid playing on, you know, a stack of wood as far as I was concerned. But sure enough, there was people inside it that passed away from it. And not only that, but the germs were still there. So they ended up getting it. Not, you know, they, they were young. They didn't succumb to it, you know, but it was a scary time. It was yeah. a scary time. And, you know, we saw it again with like, you know, where it impacted like professional sporting events and everything like that, where we actually scaled back. But if you look into it, it, when that was going on, there was actually like the Stanley Cup was canceled because there was actually, you know, we talk about COVID and everybody, you know, like you just mentioned, the 99.9% the survival rate, right? But this was affecting people like that didn't have just a comorbidity, right? It wasn't somebody like we look at it now, it's like somebody who's for all intents and purposes, granted, there's, you know, there's a few scattered in here and there. But for all intents and purposes, if you're going to die from COVID, you're most likely not somebody that's in good shape. Right. I mean, it's fair to say, right? I mean, yeah, people do die from it. I'm not that's not a disclaimer, I'm not saying people don't die from it. But the primarily the people that do die from it, they have other issues going on. These are people that were dying during the Spanish flu that were professional athletes. Like there was a yep. I think there was somebody that played for maybe it was the Montreal Canadians back in the day. And once that player died, it was time to reconsider, are we going to continue moving forward with this season? And they ultimately didn't, they suspended it. Yeah. And, and that's, and that, that's the, the, t that's actually the typical course of most pandemic viruses. Now I, I say that because if you look at, if we use seasonal influenza as like our, our benchmark or our, our comparator, our, our denominator, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, usually the, the people that, so uh, the, the morbidity and mortality associated with seasonal influenza is what's called there. There's a bimodal distribution of it. What that means is that you have two age groups of people that are, are most affected by it. And if you look at the similarities between the two and for seasonal influenza, it's typically the very young and the very old. Now, why would seasonal influenza affect both the very young and very old? Their, you know, their age difference is, is at least 60 years in difference, we'll say. Um, because, and the reason why the similarities between the two is that they have relatively weak immune systems. Um, so they're, they are highly affected by, by damage that's done to, to that person from the pathogen itself. Now, the thing with influenza is that most people don't actually die from influenza itself. 
they can get very sick from it. But what they actually die from is either a further complication of whatever, whatever underlying conditions they have, especially with things like heart disease, lung, chronic lung disease, diabetes, basically things of that nature, people with cancer as well, highly affected from seasonal influenza. And the people who seem to do the, the, the best with seasonal influenza are typically the people in between. So typically your 18 to 64 year old range, uh, healthy, relatively good immune systems, not too many comorbidities. Now, the thing with, with, with um, pandemic influenza, whether it was Spanish flu, uh, H1N1 back in 2009, um, it seems to affect more people that are relatively healthy. And this is the, this is the, the very strange part of it. And the people that are kind of spared, were spared more from that were the people were the, with the bimodal distribution which were the very young and the very old. And again, this is generally speaking. Uh, there was even a report that I saw out of Africa, out of sub-Saharan Africa, that showed that at the time with the 2009 H1N1 pandemic, patients with HIV had mild infections at best from it. It was very, very strange because you would expect the complete opposite. So why is that? Why is it that your, that your young, healthy adults would be more affected by a pandemic influenza as opposed to seasonal influenza? And the reason why is that. So what's the similarities, again, between the very young and the very old? They have relatively weaker immune systems. <clears throat> when your body encounters um, some, and again, this isn't always the case, when your body encounters uh, a, a, a new pathogen, if you have a good, competent immune system, typically speaking, your immune system will overreact to it because it's never seen it before. It doesn't know what to do. There's no antibodies around to really direct your immune system to say, okay, you know, I, okay, the antibodies tagging this particular pathogen. Now you can have a very specific response for it or toward it, that doesn't cause a lot of, a lot of collateral damage. Now, I know we've talked about that in past, past episodes with regard to COVID. COVID kind of works similarly to kind of seasonal influenza. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, an anomaly compared to other pandemic pathogens or other pandemic respiratory viruses like influenza. Um, when you have a strong immune system with, with a pandemic pathogen, your, your immune system can actually overreact to it. And that's where you get the cytokine storm that occurs. So it's not necessarily the pathogen that kills people. It's more so the over-exaggerated immune response that you have toward it. Now, we've seen that with COVID as well, but that seems to have occurred in people who are more at risk for it, like the elderly or those with some sort of underlying comorbidity. So COVID kind of behaved a little differently from, from other pathogens. It's, it's very strange. And in the, in the early stages of COVID, especially the wild type strain, the first one that, that really came out, um, young, very young people, especially children, really had more milder courses of illness. Now, it's strange because since we've come to the Omicron variant, that seems to affect children more than the wild type strain did. Uh, so it's just, it's very, it's very strange how it all works out. But I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, when you have a new pathogen like this, regardless, you just don't know what course it's going to take. Now, we have about 100 years worth of data in terms of pandemic influenza strains and, 
and coronaviruses and things of that nature. So we have some data, but we're still in our infancy as human beings to really understand how these pandemic pathogens work. So fact of the matter is, or the moral of the story is, you never know how these are going to turn out. And you really have to be extremely, extremely careful in how you approach them as a society, because if you don't go about them the right way, which it never turns out to be the right way, to be quite honest, it can really come back to bite you in the ass and really have take its toll on, on society. I've always thought it was interesting when there's people, they were talking about how, you know, we've been battling illnesses like this since the plague, which centuries ago and this and that. But to be honest with you, I mean, we haven't really been able to open up and dissect viruses as a science for maybe the last 150 years, right? I mean, or maybe 200 years, we'll go back as far as like the microscope to be able to really look in and see what, you, you know, what causes these things, the actual, the actual virus Pathogens. itself. And yeah, there yeah. you go. The actual pathogen is like to understand. Yeah, I mean, we've we we've learned a lot about these pathogens in, in a the short past hundred years alone. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, if if you were to consider that, you know, our first ancestors as human beings walked the earth seven million years ago, and only in the past hundred years we we have you know major medical advances. We don't know shit at this time, to be quite honest. I don't, we don't think we take enough anything. time. I don't, I don't think we really look to understand the concept of time, right? I mean, you, you figure, yeah. you know, just a hundred, two, okay, we'll go back 200 years ago. That's basically two people, right? Yeah. I mean, life expectancy is around 75, so three people, we'll say. So your grandparents. Yeah. Your, your grandparents were in the 1800s, right? I mean, you or me, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like my grandparents were born in, or the early 1900s, really. Yeah. So, but back then, it's Model Ts. We have Teslas. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was Alexander Graham Bell. We have uh -huh. cell phones that not only yeah. act like phones, but act like f photo shoots, that act like fax machines, that act like emails, that act like uh -huh. extensions of your brain. I mean, it's an encyclopedia. Anything you need to know is right there at your fingertips. 100 years ago, 200 years ago, these things weren't even... Listen, 40 years ago, this wasn't even a concept. The computer that's I, in your pocket is stronger than the computer <laughs> that sent people to the moon. I know. That's scary. I mean, here's, here's another thing to consider. I mean, if, even from a medical standpoint... I mean, the, we're the only white... people to, to low orbit and coming back. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the wide-scale clinical use or widespread clinical use of antibiotics for human medicine has only really been in practice for maybe 70 to 80 years since penicillin was really put into, into clinical use. You might uh, really put medicine into perspective. <laughs> 80s, AIDS was basically the disease that was going to wipe out the entire gay community at the time, right? Because that's yeah. pretty much what was you know, primarily focused on. That's what it was yep. in the 80s. Yep. I mean, obviously, we know it could affect anybody. Yeah. I just saw in the news the other day, they cured the first person. It was a female. And basically, it's not for everybody. So not everybody, you know, get their hopes up that not that everybody's you know, out there getting AIDS. But I mean, just it, it was interesting, you know, and, and you know, of course, I wanted to know about it, but it basically complete it's not for everybody because it completely destroyed the immune system and you were basically mm -hmm. starting over from scratch with stem cells. Yeah, but that's crazy. 
you're yeah. completely eradicating somebody's immune system and yeah. bringing it back, like biologically engineering a brand new immune mm -hmm. system that has ingrained instructions on how to kill this disease that's killed millions of people through the past mm -hmm. 40 years. Yeah, and even the treatment for it, even for the, for the chronic disease state management of HIV has changed dramatically over the past 25 years. I mean, it went from, you know, the first heart therapy or heart standing for highly, highly active antiretroviral therapy, H-A-A-R-T, has, you know, changed from, you know, people taking 20 to 30 tablets a day of God knows what medication it was, um, to something where they could take it once, once a month. And, and these were medications. Yeah. It's, it's because fascinating. That what, that's where like project red got its color, if you will, from, because that's the color of the, the pill, right? There's like one red pill or something like that. Not very often. It could save millions. Yeah, of I think, because I think, I think orange, orange, red, maybe, yeah, whatever. It, yeah. But I mean, maybe this was years ago because I don't really see much about product. Project Red anymore, and I'm, but I'm sure it still exists because for the longest time, I mean, AIDS was ravaging AIDS, like Af Africa, and it had nothing to do yeah. with sexual orientation. It just was something that was there. And I know, no, like and, Brazil, it was something that was raging on. And 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 here here's the interesting thing about its origins. So, so um, AIDS is is the condition that 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 occurs in in human beings. It's acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Now. There's other forms of AIDS that occur that are not due to the actual virus. Um, it could be certain certain genetic disease states. It, it's relatively rare to be caused by other things aside from the virus itself. But generally speaking, AIDS is caused by the human immunodeficiency virus or HIV. So where the hell did HIV come from? You're probably thinking. Well, here's the interesting thing. In, in West Africa, there's something called SIV or simian immunodeficiency immunodeficiency virus. So simian immunodeficiency virus is actually uh, like an HIV virus that occurs amongst other non-human primates, like baboons, other monkeys, things of that nature, apes, if you will. So the thought is, is that SIV was transmitted from apes, or other non-human primates to human beings and mutated to now it's HIV or human immunodeficiency virus. Again, another zoonotic illness. Now, the reason why I bring that up is that West Africa, um, the, the, the West Africa, the people in the West, the Western region of Africa, whether it's, whether it's uh, Ivory Coast or a lot of those other nations like Liberia and things of that nature, very, very, or parts of, of Africa, of sub-Saharan Africa. They have a tradition where they, they consume something called bush meat. So they basically go out into the, into the forest and they kill whatever animals that they can and they consume them. And in, in a lot of cases, they consume them raw. So they, they, they eat this meat raw. Now, again, it's neither right nor wrong. It's, it's, their, it's their tradition. It's, it's what they do. Um, it's their means of survival. I mean, they're not exactly. going to... They're not going to French laundry, having a bite to eat. <laughs> exactly. Wolfgang Puck isn't somebody that exists there. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so what happened was that the thought is, is that with the human sex trade, 
a lot of um, a lot of wealthy folks went to West Africa, and basically through human trafficking acquired a lot of West Africans, and you know to kind of keep it a little a little you know something a little less than R rated. They did their thing with with some of these some of these people that they that they basically enslaved for sex and sold them off. And then it spread from one person to another. And then with, with multiple sex, sex partners, whether heterosexual or homosexual, bisexual, whatever, it spread like wildfire through especially the, the homosexual community in most major cities. Isn't it funny that like when we're younger and obviously we grew up in the 80s and into the 90s, and back then it was just like, you know, the rumor was, that AIDS was was created because somebody had sex with a monkey, right? That's Not had sex that... with it, probably consumed one. And I mean, and what I mean by that is actually ate one. Well, uh, I mean, in the science community, maybe, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, like, what? Oh yeah, yeah. The rumor, about, yeah. The rumor was always that, and then when COVID was kind of coming around, it was oh, somebody had <laughs> sex with a pang pangolin or whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> Which after you see it, it looks like a armadillo on steroids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But isn't it crazy? Like this is where they like the people. People have like this. They're they're drawn to this idea that diseases and illnesses are created because a human decided to have sex with an animal. <laughs> like how primitive is that? Like you know, you could get the flu just because the farmers hanging around with the chickens. But if you get anything else, I guarantee yeah. you there's sexual craziness going on that involves an animal. Yeah, exactly. Especially, especially if it's like sheep flu or something like that. Ridiculous. Or sheep COVID. I, oh my God. Could you imagine? She, sheep vid. <laughs> sheep. No, but, <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, that that's how, that's how rumors start. But I mean, for the most part, people aren't too, they're not too far off when they describe these things. And a lot of it, it goes back to the basic principles of the human animal interface and these being zoonotic infections. So these are no different. I mean, if you want to talk about a lot of the most deadly illnesses to human beings on the face of the earth are due to our interaction with nature and other, and other species, other animals, insects, whatever. Mm. I mean, look at Ebola. That's a hemorrhagic fever that's typically acquired also from bushmeat. Typically speaking, um, yeah, hantavirus, which is which is another form of I, I want to say it's kind of like another hemorrhagic fever that occurs here in the in, in the western part of the U.S., mostly around the Rocky Mountains in the south southwestern part of the U.S. Um, that that's from you know having unsanitary conditions where you have a lot of rodents in, in areas. And back in two thousand thirteen or so, there was a hantavirus outbreak that occurred. I think in the in the in the uh, in Yellowstone National Park with campers, what they found is that there was like an a, a, an insane amount of mouse droppings everywhere in their in their campsite, and so naturally they they ended up acquiring hantavirus. Marburg virus is another is another um, is another hemorrhagic fever. Yellow fever uh, from from mosquito transmission. Uh, HIV, COVID, SARS avian influenza, swine flu, it, it, the, the list is endless in terms of the number of zoonotic pathogens that 
really can kill off a very large portion of human beings if we're not if we're not careful. And this is where the science comes in to really ensure that we have good antibiotics and we have good vaccines to protect us against these things. Um, so uh, it, it you know it, it is what it is. But as long as we keep pushing the limits of getting more into you know deeper into nature, and the more we interact very very closely, literally physically speaking with animals, the higher our risk for acquiring a lot of these nasty pathogens. On that happy note. Yeah, on that happy note. <laughs> uh, it just reminds me, I think you and I, we talked about that bit that uh, John Stewart got into when he was on Steve Colbert. And he was just like, you know, maybe it was the pangolin and he snuck yeah. his way into it. No, maybe it's this the fact that there's a, a lab that's right down the street and it's actually named <laughs> Coronavirus Lab. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I I just hope that the next extinction level event could wait until after I'm gone because this last two years is enough for me. Mm-hmm. Wait till humanity gets even softer and then they have to face an extinction level event. <laughs> I wait mean, until if, if life you want it's so easy. This I mean, is if, literally if you... the best time to be alive. You don't even have to leave your house to get groceries anymore. It is. It, people don't understand that. They they really don't. They have no clue like how good it was. Right. And then so. you had a little bit of it. Look at how it was going on in the 40s. Right. With World War Two. Mm-hmm. Like milk was getting delivered by a guy. It was sitting on your porch overnight or whenever. And you had that. That was your milk. Your refrigerator sucked. Cars didn't have air conditioning. You, you want to go out on a date and the best you could do is you're going to park. Right. You're going to overlook yeah. like a little scenic overlook. You know, you went to a dance. It was the Sadie Hawkins dance. There was shitty speakers playing lousy music, but it's all you knew. Right. So that was great exactly. music for you at the time. <laughs> you had no cell phone. People called your house. You had to talk to your parents first. Right. People mm-hmm. are like people send like they're swiping right and swiping left to come on a date on a Friday night. Back then, you had to go to a bar. You had to go someplace, wherever it might be, grocery store, name, wherever your location is. You had to meet somebody. You had to gather the guts to talk to that person, get their number. And not only mm-hmm. that, but you had to call their house where they lived with their parents. So their first line of defense is already there. They're talking. Yeah. You're, you're calling. I talked to, you know, back in the day when you were like a teenager, you talked to your, your the girl that you wanted to date. You talked to her parents before. Or you even got a chance to talk to her. Now it's this big buildup. Like, okay, drum roll, please. We're getting ready to meet my parents this weekend. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy, right? There's there's a giant fucking firewall back then compared to now. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, you had no penicillin. The common cold yeah. could kill you. People were dying of gangrene and from just I don't know home wounds, home accidents. 
you you know you slipped with the 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 bush shears and you you got a little cut on your arm you might die from it because it got septic meanwhile these days we have a a, a virus that's 99.9% survivable but all you have to do is a couple like little trivial things compared to what they had to do in the past and people lose their shit it's divided our country people can't even think straight you can't our even put divided on... the world <laughs> exactly you know you have people that are, they're parking semi trucks because they're just like I don't think I should get the vaccine and I don't blame them. I mean, you and I have both talked. We don't think that vaccine mandates should ever come into play. Should you? No. I mean, is it beneficial? I think there's a combination, you know, like we said earlier, I had COVID a couple months ago. I think the fact that I had the vaccines combined with the fact that I actually take care of myself. I mean, I run 15 miles a week. I lift weights. I take vitamins. I, I try to live a healthy lifestyle. Meanwhile, I'm sipping bourbon on a fucking Thursday night. But whatever. <laughs> I'm off tomorrow, so it's my day off. It's the way of the world. It's the way of the world, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is I, I, I do believe that having gotten the vaccine helped me with my symptoms. I didn't lose my yeah. sense of taste. I didn't lose my sense of smell. Those are two of your five, two of your five senses. And people are just totally mm -hmm. cool with it, right? What if they were two other sim uh, two other senses rather? What if it was your sense like of hearing taste and sight and your sense of sight? Right, right. Yeah. That's how you navigate. All of a sudden, the only thing you could do is just I don't, sit in gonna, a chair. You're gonna learn braille in a week. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be Helen Keller temporarily. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like it's, somebody was asking me the other day at work, how would a blind man and a deaf girl date? <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't. How? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That feels good. All sorts of shit. I don't know. So that's going to be blind. Yeah, seriously, this is going to be a f fucking four hour podcast if we don't get our shit straight. Anyway, it is what, what else, it is. What else do we got? You like what Olympics? other happy horse shit is going on in the world? <laughs> you like Olympics? You like competitions? <laughs> well, how's this? All right. A couple months ago, we talked about who is it? Shikari Richardson and her whole smoking marijuana. Admittedly, so American sprinter ended up getting banned from the Olympics. Well, actually, she's had to serve a suspension, but the, by the time the suspension ended, the Olympics were basically over at that point. So she didn't, she didn't, she didn't compete. She wasn't unable to compete. Meanwhile, in this Olympics, we have a figure skater from Russia who tested positive for banned substance. I believe it was a heart medication. You'd be able to send a little bit more uh, insight mm. on that. But um, meanwhile, she's able to, to, to compete. Um, there's several events for figure skaters. I think she may have meddled in the United States. I think they're waiting to find out what medal they get because this whole thing is being contested on whether or not she was rightfully able to compete or not, as far as I'm concerned, as far as a, a majority of Americans anyway are, are concerned. If you fail a drug test, you fail a drug test. There's not really a way around it. Yeah. But for some reason, she was able to. And then in whatever program, I think was just last night or the other night, she came in fourth place. Thus, the Olympic Committee dodged a bullet there because, mm. you know, with the con the controversy that's surrounding, it's just whether or not she should have been able to compete. Says the girl's 15 years old. She looks like she's damn near 20. But nonetheless, she failed the drug <laughs> test. Oh, interesting. Uh, I wanted to find the name of the drug. You said it was a heart medication? I believe so. So 
basically the backstory of it, she ended up giving a sample on December 25th. Um, I don't know if, if you want to dig in while I'm, I'm going on my rant here. Um, see if I can find anything. On yeah. That. Cause the, the, the article that I had posted up there, it's not on there. So basically long story short, on December 25th, she ended up providing a sample that wasn't really tested until basically leading up to the games. They tested it. She was tested positive for a heart condition medication. I think there was three that she was found in her system. Now, as we know, you test positive for a substance, whether it's performance enhancing or not, as marijuana, I would like to think it's not exactly performance enhancing. However, it's a banned substance. It is what it is. If it's on the banned substance list and you take it, you can't perform, which was the case yeah. with Shakari Richardson. And she admittedly so took it and she owned up to it, which I think is very admirable. However, so says here that she, Believa, reportedly tested positive for trimetazidine, a heart medication banned in and out of competition by the WADA. I have never heard of that medication. That's because it's not approved in the United States. Right. So I guess it's a medication that her father or her grandfather is on. Yeah. And her grandfather. Yeah. So apparently they're saying that she took it. Here's the Here's what basically the Olympics is saying as to why she was able to compete. She's 15 years old, and apparently, I forget the the actual term that they're using. It's uh, she's she can't be deemed responsible at that age. I think that yeah. age comes at 16, and I actually I, I believe that's actually the term that they used. She's, mm-hmm. um, but she uh, they're saying she's 15 years old. And granted, any 15 year old, I mean, at that age, she's just being handled, if you will. Right, for lack of a better term, she's just, she, she has her handler, she's got her coaches, and basically, you know, she's eating what she's told to eat, you know, taking whatever she's told to take, which is an easy disclaimer. And the thing is, is that I think she she broke some kind of record because she was able to do like four quads or something like that in her first performance in the Olympics, which I have no idea about figure skating, so I'm not even going to pretend, but I'm guessing it's a good thing because people were saying how amazing it was. Now, yeah. Granted, the fact that you're 15, you are basically invincible at that point. However, yeah. you know, you add a little bit of something where, I mean, I'm guessing if it's a heart medication, it's going to improve your stamina. So later in the program, you're still going to be able to pull off those jumps. Yeah. So based on I'm reading on it, so what it does, it's, it's considered to be a vasodilator, meaning that it, in, it can increase blood flow to skeletal muscle and decrease things like cramping and lactic acid buildup and so on and so forth. So kind of like something that would typically be ideal for like a Tour de France racer, for example. Seems Yeah, like. I mean, somebody doing a lot of aerobic exercise, even anaerobic, to be quite honest, um, is something that it would certainly help out with. So I could see where it's like considered to be a performance enhancing drug. But the most notable observation would just be basically that the more oxygen is being able to be delivered to, to yes. muscles. Yep, exactly. So the fact that she's so young, I guess, is is basically the main contributing to the reason as to why she was able to still compete. Now, this is still something that's up for debate, and it's still something that's going to be challenged. However, I mean, in the meantime, I mean, they were basically saying, I think to, I think it might have been team competition, you know, um, 
Yeah, you might have meddled. You might have. I, I don't know where the United States stood, but there must be somebody sitting on that third place podium being or fourth place podium being like, come on, Russia and fail so we can get up on that. Yeah. Fall flat in your face, bitch. Right. But, you know, this is the thing. I mean, this is coming from a skater that was on, that's on a team who Russia's not even allowed to use their flag during these Olympics because this and the summer games that just passed. They're basically, you know, they were they were running a state sponsored steroids, you know, team. <laughs> what? So they they're represented by ROC. Yeah, we're, we're what does ROC about, stand for? Like, that's the Russian Olympic Committee. Okay, all right. That's, that's they just can't. They, there's no flags. They can't, you know, stand up on the podium yeah. and say this is from Mother Russia or whatever they want to do. But I don't know. Russia's busy trying to, to take over Ukraine right now. So earlier in the week, I saw something. It was, it, was a, it was a blurb. It was saying that the Ukrainian prime minister, I believe, or president, I think they have a prime minister, said yeah. that they were expecting Russia to invade by Wednesday or on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. They actually said on yeah. Wednesday. So that's what we're doing now. We're scheduling wars. Are we back to like the civil war? We're like, okay, Battle of Gettysburg is going to be whatever date. Yeah, meet us here on this battlefield by high meet noon on Tuesday. Right, because if you remember, even in history class growing up, they were they. I remember them telling you that, yeah, the Battle of Gettysburg. There were people that were picnicking and watching the fight. Jesus Christ! I don't think that's happening anymore. But these trenches, no. these trenches are dug, and I talked to somebody who's involved in military, and he was saying that, granted, you know, there's no official war that's going on. They're like Russia hasn't invaded yet. But Russia, there's Russian contractors that have been in gunfights, small arms fights with the Ukrainian yeah. military. So yep. it's not like nothing's going on there. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Ukraine is running like a vacation <laughs> advertising campaign. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. I yeah. did not see that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's just very. So I, I think the, the whole thing from, you know, the whole thing about February 16th, Wednesday, February 16th, about the invasion. Um, so I, I guess that originated from from Vladimir Putin telling a lot of his military commanders to be on alert to potentially invade on Wednesday. So I think that's where that message came from. Now, obviously, it's Thursday. We haven't seen anything transpire officially in terms of a, an, a, 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 a large large scale invasion, if you will. Um, we did see some skirmishes happen today, especially earlier this morning. I saw reports of, of Russian-backed um, separatists in a certain area of Ukraine that uh, fired mortar shells into a village. And one of these ended up um, hitting, I think, a kindergarten, which to me is completely abhorrent, to, to be quite honest. It's just disgusting that they would, they, that they would just fire mortars at, at civilians. It's just like that. That's you just don't do that. Sorry, that's like you. You deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth when you do shit like that. Like that. That's just that. That's garbage. You are. You are you're just the, going after the, kids at that point. I mean, there's no. Yeah, you're, you're fire a fucking a scumbag. Yeah, you're. You're the type of person that should be that should be burned alive, as far as I'm concerned. What when you do shit like that? I mean, like. I get war is ugly and war is very dirty, very demoralizing, but, yeah, but if you, you this don't is go like after the, innocent the, civilians. Right, but you're at the doorstep right now. This is going to be your first action. 
yeah that's just go that, after, that go after you, you don't you certainly don't gain any friends by doing that no you definitely do not no but i mean the the world is a tinder box right now especially yeah, with it, this it so what i was reading Everybody's the other day just waiting about, to see what happens yeah exactly what i was reading from this is that ukraine is a relatively large supplier of grains to the world market for food so i think they supply like 15 percent of the world's um grains which is pretty and i think that's that's part of the that's not the entire reason but part of the reason why um why uh why russia wants to invade is to take ukraine overall together especially for its very fertile soils <laughs> they um, go after food we go after oil <laughs> imagine that huh hmm. um and opium <laughs> yeah well that that's a booming business as well especially with fentanyl hmm. um but that's a that's a i i i completely digress that's a um, whole different tangent we just exactly time for yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's it, it's a tender box right now. And and the thing that I'm concerned with is not just with you know Russia and Ukraine, is that Russia supplies a lot of Europe with the western part of Europe with a lot of its its petroleum. So if they cut off petroleum supplies to Europe, then the rest of Europe is kind of shit out of luck for energy production. Now we can supply Europe. Exactly. Them, but we're fighting for you know barrels that they're trying to acquire. Exactly. Market. So we can supply Europe with all that. Uh, but the problem is, is that we've cut a lot of our production down altogether. So now it puts us in a pickle. So what could that. be a great business opportunity? Dig, dig, dig. Mm. Yeah. But the thing that I get concerned with is that, you know, a skirmish with Ukraine can potentially pull us into it from a NATO perspective. Right. even though technically Ukraine is not in NATO. Um, but I foresee I foresee things like Iran just inadvertently attacking Israel because apparently Israel relies on Ukraine for a large portion of its of its grains. And plus everybody's busy, so why not a good time? Exactly. And then that'll pull us into trying to protect Israel. So then now that puts us on two war fronts, stretching our our um our capabilities and that that gives china the perfect opportunity to attack and because china is really in cahoots with russia it seems like a perfect world war three scenario dangerous yeah we got some grim times ahead i mean this is really the closest we've been in quite some time to something major 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 yeah. i mean I, I i don't even think you know, back in 2001 and 2002, going into Iraq and Afghanistan and these areas, I don't think that compares to what could possibly yeah. happen with this this Ukraine incident. Like, if this actually gets off the ground, if, if this thing, I mean, they're already predicting, like, a, a, within a couple months, there could be 50,000 casualties. That's the number yeah. that's thrown out already. Easily. Yep. I wouldn't know it. Man. You know, my friends that are in the military, they don't want to go over there. No. Because I mean, they're they're throwing up their hands. They're like, what? What do we have to? What do we have to go to Ukraine for? We're like, what, what is it? It's to shithole. See, I mean, I, I I envision a similar scenario like what happened in World War II. Like, we we stayed out of World War II for the most part, and we just supplied the the Allied forces with arms, with supplies, with equipment, food, everything, fuel, 
um, all throughout the earlier parts of World War II. The thing that catapulted us, catapulted us into World War II was Pearl Harbor. And that was a complete surprise attack, obviously by Japan. And then that really pissed us off and that, and that got us into it. But I can foresee the same thing happening where we're assisting the European countries with, an out, with, with fighting that occurs in Europe from this. And then, like I said, China has the perfect opportunity to attack us when we're not looking. And then shit gets real. So that, that's, that's the way I foresee it. Now, I pray to God that that doesn't happen because that's a, a, not a good situation for anybody. <laughs> that's also an extinction level event. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Hmm. So let's make things happy again. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Let's. <laughs> did you watch it? I did. I did too. I did, I did too. I actually, actually I, it, I thought it was know, a great game. I, I uh, it, It's funny how blinded it, it became after the game was over because the game was a great game, I thought. I think it, you know, yeah. it was kind of this back and forth. You know, Cincinnati wasn't even expected to, you know, they were, they were the underdog. But if you took the spread, they still won it. However, yeah. you know, over the next few days after, it's almost like the game became this, this, this afterthought where it became this whole thing of, you know, people go in the Super Bowl so crazy because this is the only thing that I know where people forget about the actual event and then they talk about the little minor stories that are kind of hinted inside it. Like yeah. people are talking about, you know, well, the commercials, they weren't really that good. Well, it's a fucking Super Bowl, man. This isn't like, this isn't commercial con. 2002 or 2022 <laughs> like all right so you didn't like the commercials cool the game good because that's what you watched yeah you know and then like this whole well, thing with eminem and if he knelt and who gives a shit like the thing is is even if he did kneel he didn't kneel during the national anthem so wasn't that the issue exactly. so people are taking away from it being about the national anthem and now they're making it all colin kaepernick which that was never the case but they're trying to make it about that yeah well, it's it's interesting because I, I was watching I was watching um, I was watching Fox News just in, uh, a couple of days afterwards, and uh, and they they brought that up. They brought that whole incident up about about uh, Eminem kneeling during the halftime show, and they're like, "Okay, so he kneeled during the halftime show. Gives a shit." Like I, I'll be honest, when I saw that happen, when he kneeled, Dr. Dre started playing the chord on the piano of I ain't mad at you by by Tupac mm -hmm. and to me the way I interpreted what Eminem was doing was that because if you if you look at that halftime show it was kind of like you know a, a, a classic California um, hip-hop artist type of thing even though basically half of them weren't from California but you kind of get the you kind of get the idea I mean like hip-hop from either South South southern california or new york from the 90s was the pinnacle of hip-hop let's right. let's be completely real i know you and i have talked about this on Absolutely. many occasions on, on this podcast but it, that time in hip-hop was the pinnacle of that genre of music by far there is no fucking comparison otherwise and a lot of that had to do with dr dre snoop dogg Tupac, 
and all that other stuff. Now, of those three, Tupac is, is no longer around. It's been about 25 some odd years or so since, since, he, since he was killed. Um, so to me, when, when Eminem kneeled, and because Eminem was kind of brought up through the ranks, even though Eminem's from Detroit, he's brought up through, uh, brought up through the ranks by Dr. Dre, when he kneeled and Dr. Dre started playing that, that chord on the piano from I Am Mad At You, to me, it was Eminem's kind of show oh. of respect toward Tupac, which who had a gigantic part in the uprising of hip hop throughout the United States at that time, 25 some odd years ago. Yeah. And I've that's that the way too. I interpreted it as it. But, yeah, but that was but, me. I mean, in the big scheme of things, like it's kind of irrelevant, right? I mean, who cares? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if it's for Tupac, cool. If it, Even if it's for, for Colin Kaepernick, I mean, I, I don't hate the guy. I mean, I understand the point that he's trying to make. I just don't think that, I think everything that circled him was just about like, you know, he him being blackballed. Meanwhile, he was a backup quarterback. That was my whole thing. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, I understand why you're doing it. I don't agree with the fact that, you know, of when you're doing it. And I always point people, and, and people don't want to listen to it, but I always point, especially in America, because it involves fucking soccer, and God forbid you mention anything else than fucking football. But I always point to this example, and I'm sure you've seen games, and like even I think they probably did it during the Euro, and I'm sure you're going to see it during the World Cup. But one thing that's big in Europe, you know, they'll go through all the pomp and circumstance, especially now with the Champions League games being played today, and they'll go through everything. And then the teams will set up like they're getting ready to start. The whistle will blow. Everybody in the field takes a knee. Everybody in solidarity. Even the ref. Yeah. Whistle blows again. Everybody gets up, plays the game. And that's something that the, the announcers in every game that I've watched where they've done it, they make mention of it. Here we go in solidarity to end racing. There's no, ra there's no room for racism in football. And then they blow the whistle again, and then everybody gets up. And everybody knows what it's about. Everybody talks about it. The words are said. This is why they're yeah. doing it. Yeah. And, and, and the, the biggest thing I think that we get from seeing it in this kind of instance is that everybody's together, right? Yeah. Everybody's good. Here's an alternative where everybody could do it together, and we're yeah. all down for the same cause. But instead, <laughs> it's like these, these cycles want to just say, well, you know, they shouldn't have to stand for the national anthem. You're right. You shouldn't have to stand for anything. There's no law for it. Yeah, of course. But you shouldn't have should to. I think you, do I think you should take a knee instead? Go the opposite direction? Everybody's standing up in, in honor of people. Now, people aren't standing up in, just because somebody's performing a, a one-song concert in front of you. That's not why everybody's standing up. Granted, I mean, it is kind of nice gesture, you know. It's yeah. fucking, I'm sure it's pretty fucking scary to stand up there in front of 20,000 people and sing. Yeah. I mean, that's not the only reason I don't do it, but I don't do it. <laughs> Fuck it. I'd be scared as shit. But there's always this, this, this butting of heads that doesn't necessarily need to take place because we could find another, we could find an alternative. We could find some place where we could all meet in the middle because it's not something that we're all against. You know, we, we, we're, yeah. we're, majority of people aren't for racism or, or for discrimination or for injustice. 
which we can get into in, in just a second after a patches and we'll go through that and we could wrap this up. Uh, sure. But it's just, it, it kills me because we, it's like we go about things the wrong way. We could do things so much differently and we could reach across and, and just affect more people and more people would be on board. And, and, but instead it's just like, you know what, let's choose this way which is so disrespectful to some people instead of like, let's just, okay, let's just do this together and we'll all kneel together because it became well, this I mean, thing a couple of years ago, right? Where it was just like all the players either were standing together or kneeling together or arms across each other together. Like it's just, why is it just during the national anthem? Yeah. I, I never yeah. understood that. I don't know. I, I, th I think because it's, it's a, because the, the national anthem is very symbolic and it's a, it, it is a unifying thing throughout the country, or at least it was. Um, I mean, you go to sporting events 20, 30 years ago and everybody was standing, everybody took their hat off, everybody had their hand across their, across their chest and, and they would all sing the national anthem in unison. It was, it meant something. It, it, it was unifying for people, whether you're rich or poor, uh, black, white, Hispanic, anything yeah. it, it was I, unifying I've been at games where the pa system went down and it was the crowd that ended up singing the national anthem yeah exactly so it's it's that one thing that really brings a, a country of of people from all different backgrounds together and so at sporting events that's the one time where generally speaking everybody is paying attention everybody is is on the same wavelength so to have somebody kind of um what's the term break ranks from that mm -hmm. yeah it, it comes under a microscope everybody looks at it and says this is bullshit well not everybody i mean at least the people who disagree with it will say this is bullshit then you'll have the people that'll that'll kind of contemplate it and say, well, you know, it's actually actually not bad because, you know, what they're doing is is a serious or what they're doing is that they're trying to bring light to a serious issue. And if you're going to bring a serious issue to light that nobody has been paying attention to for years, for generations, then let's do it at a time that's going to make it rather painful where people have to pay attention to it. So I, 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 I'm in. I respect the strategy. I understand the point. I still disagree with it altogether because, right. and I, I've, I've argued with other people on this and I know you and I have spoken about this at length on multiple occasions, but for me, like I said before, that is a time of unity for everybody from all walks of life. There should be anyway. Can, Exactly. And, and it's symbolic of the people from all walks of life previously that have fought and died for the country. But the saying is so like, at the very, at the very least, give it yep. that ounce of respect during that short two to three minutes when that song is played. I agree with you. And that's my stance on it also, but to the same degree, I mean, I've been around some people that are so, I feel like over the top, with, with like almost militant about it and which isn't good either no and it's not and i and i just always kind of you know I, I i throw a couple jabs at them you know people like that like really like i don't know i know when the national anthem's on at the game and i'm watching it on tv like that's my cue like go to the bathroom and get your 
your last ditch snack that you want to sit down and watch the game. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I don't even notice it. I don't even half the time the chant like the, the volume's not even up when and when they're doing it. This is just all right, game's about to start. I'm not paying attention to it. I'll be honest with you. Like uh, it's not like this the, the Star Spangled Banner is is on my playlist. I, I mean I I I I don't watch many sporting events during the regular season for anything, for any sport, to be quite honest. I just have way too many, too many things to do to be, to sit on a Saturday and watch like a yeah. baseball game or something. But, you know, during the postseason, if, if I'm watching a game, I'll definitely take the time to stop and listen to the national anthem and, and absorb it and really, yeah. and really reflect think, on, on what it is. But I think the, the playoffs are a special time because that's when they, they kind of like, in case of emergency, break glass. That's when they have like the awesome. Like I think uh, I just saw. I have ESPN Plus, and uh, there was a, a commercial for. I don't know if it's going to be a thirty for thirty. It seems like it, but it was. Uh, it was for the national anthem that Whitney Houston sang. Mm. And I guess you know it was just like a teaser for it. They were talking about how they they played like basically a demo, and the NFL didn't like the way that she sang it, so they wanted to go back, and ultimately she sang it the way she did, and. I think that's one of like it was like a number one selling single for some time, and it's our national anthem. Like, yeah, I, she did a great job of it. She a hundred percent. She fucking such a knocked waste. it out of the park. So, so talented. Unfortunately, yep. you know, you saw where where that goes. But we'll head into yep. this uh, this last bit, and it kind of ties into what we were just talking about. But did you see in New Jersey this mall brawl? I did not. Okay. So tell me about it though. Okay. So apparently there was a fight that took place in Bridgewater, New Jersey. So mm-hmm. apparently there was a lead up to this fight where people kind of saw that it was going to take place. And um, ultimately it did. And there was, there was video um, that was, the, that was taken. Um, I don't know if I could get it to right here if not i'll find some place that that plays it so the problem is is that there's a, a white teenager and a black teenager that are both fighting each other you know it starts to basically getting into each other's face now granted like with anything else there's only it's it, it's limited because i don't know what happened in the part that's not video record or, or not so much that it's not video recorded because it seems like the whole thing was video recorded it's just completely edited for view they're not going to show you know, where the fight started to where it got as far as having like the police show up. But yeah. the issue is, hope we get it to play here. Um, of course, there's an ad, but um, <laughs> Gary, Tina, Gary, Gary, and Jordan. Speaking of which, you ever see Emma? Yeah. She's a United States military world. She yeah. has two moms. Basically, it's a recruiting. Oh, that one. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, getting back on topic. Sorry, listeners. So (laughs) uh, basically, like, you know, it started, they were, they were shoving each other. I think it actually started with the the white teenager shoving the black teenager. And then accusations of racial bias by police after they broke up a fight between a pair of teenagers, one black, one white at a New Jersey mall. A now viral video shows the teens having a heated discussion. The white teen pointing his finger in the face of the black teen, who pushes the white teen's hand away. The white teen then shoves the black teen, and the two begin to tussle. At one point, the white teen tackling the black teen and pinning him to a couch, then throwing him to the ground. 
This is actually more than I've seen from many videos so far. A female officer pulls the white teen away and pushes him to the couch without handcuffs. While the other officer presses the black teen to the ground and kneels on his back. The female officer also coming over to kneel on the teen's upper back while they place him and only him in handcuffs. Oh no! Treatment some viewed as unequal, unfair, and racially biased. One bystander exclaiming in surprise as police handcuffed the black teen. Yo, it's because he's black. CNN affiliate WCBS spoke Certainly with one of the like teens involved, 14-year-old Kai, who asked that his last name not be used. I was con like confused, like well, why they saw me as a bad person, like uh, me as a like aggressor. The eighth grader telling CNN affiliate WABC, stood up for a friend, a seventh grader, being picked. Well. After seeing that, I, I would be, if I was the guy that had the guy, so, so protocol in a situation like that, both people get cuffed, both, right off the rip. They get separated, they get cuffed, sorted out after. Yeah. That being the fact, that, that being the case, that both of them were, were aggressive. They were both throwing fights. They were, there was no assault. It was mutual combat. So they both get taken in for disorderly conduct or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is, is if I was the guy that had the guy handcuffed on the ground, I would look at my partner and say, why the fuck is that guy not cuffed? Because the yeah. thing is, is now it opens it up for this, where people are calling for both of those officers to be or be fired. I mean, if anything, I feel like it's, it's going to turn into a suspension, and it should be because you didn't do your job. You're supposed to cuff that person. So, but here's a question I have for you. Now, I... I... I only saw the video. This, this is the first time I've seen it. Yeah, I've only now, watched it maybe I, once before. Now, to be fair, I had my I, I had my eyes on the as the video was was playing and the person was narrating in the background, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I had my eyes on the white kid sitting on the couch with the female officer near him. He was sitting on the couch doing nothing. Um, he was doing nothing after he got pulled off the other kid. Right. So do you still cuff him if he's not yes, doing anything? Hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. All right. She just witnessed him involved in combat. He needs to get handcuffed because he's okay. he's guilty. He's guilty. Then I mean, if, even if, if he's not, case, that's up to up to you to make the determination at that point. You know, you, you watch them both hitting true. each other. They're both going to go and let the judicial system sort it out. You're going to yeah. get pressed with charges. It is what it is. You're going to spend an afternoon until you get bailed out by your parents. You're a teenager. You're going to go home. Yeah. So. But yeah, that, that, that they're supposed to both get handcuffed in an instance like that. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. She fucked up on her job. Mm. Okay. Oh, that, that makes sense. I mean, if, if, that's, if that's really what she should have done, that, then that's what she should have done. And yeah, I and I was a little any... leery when I, when I first pushed play because I saw little bits and pieces that were kind of like the in-your-face in the beginning of it. And I saw the end where basically they're getting peeled off one another i didn't see where i mean you saw in the video like yeah. they, they were showing the punches were going back and forth and then there was that instance where the white white teenager just he he pushed the guy and tackled him into the couch i mean they're already engaged at that point there's you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're 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 done they're both gone yeah so now what i guess to ask at this point what are the charges that have been brought against them are they equal 
or do we not know that yet? I'm not sure. I'm sure. Like this just was released, I believe, today. So, I mean, by the time it hits our listeners, this is going to be a couple days in the making, mm. and they, they probably will have come out with some charges by then. But the crazy thing yeah. is, is that um, the young man that you saw interviewed towards the end, I believe his family actually hired George Floyd's lawyer. Mm. So this okay. is going to gain some traction. Traction. This is something that you're going to be seeing um, over the course of some time, I'm sure, because you know, high-profile lawyer means high-profile case. And I mean, just anytime I see here in Connecticut, Norm Pettis as the attorney that's involved, I know that this is going to be something that makes the news. I mean, this is the lawyer for like the Foytis Dulos and several other high-profile cases. Foytis Dulos was, if you don't remember, this was the guy who killed his wife in an affluent neighborhood in Fairfield County and basically disposed of the body, if you will. I mean, nothing's been... Nothing's been found. Proven. Proven, yeah. And like all along Albany Avenue. Well, that secret died along with him. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when it happened. I I know somebody, because he was on parole, and I knew somebody in parole at the time, and they were saying that, yeah, um, they, they, his parole officer was one of the responding people, and they're like, yeah, he's gone, man. They just tried to, they tried to revive him just to, but he was brain dead, and he wasn't coming back. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Um. So I know, I know that I said that that was the last topic, and it should be, but I'm getting into this one anyway. Did you see this new Department of Energy guy? Um, no, but um... okay. So as you could see from the headline, Biden taps non-binary drag queen to look after nuclear waste. I think it's hilarious that that's the way the Daily Mail oh, spelled it out. To their credit, MIT graduate and kinked activist. I don't know. Where that goes, but MIT graduate is pretty is impressive. That? So it will be enormous challenge to take on top level Department of Energy role. Sam Britton, he uses the pronouns they or them. They said in a LinkedIn post that they have accepted the job with the, uh, as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition. Um, why don't why? Oh, hold on a second. Time out. Hold on. Time Let me on. just say why this last. Why the fuck do we have? Go ahead. Sam is seen in some photos wearing bright red lipstick beneath their mustache. And boy, does he, they, them ever. Yeah. Scroll back to the top of that, of that article. There he is. What in the love of hell is that? That is our new, what did I say? Yeah. Looks like Sinead O'Connor going through puberty. Dude, it looks like a parody. It looks like a parody. And listen, I know some listeners might say, oh, homophobic, transphobic. I get it. I, I, I don't. Listen, there's some things that I'm not built to understand. I get it. No. You know, people are gay. I get it. I'm cool with it. You know, I, I have no issues at all with whatever people want to be. I'm not even, I don't even have an issue with trans. I'm fine with it. Like if you feel like you were born somebody, I get it. But uh-huh. this 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 gender fluid thing, where like you wake up in the morning and you're female by lunchtime, you might be male, and then you know you get a little cranky towards the end of the day, and that's that PMS sitting in. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get I, it either. I don't get it. I really don't, and I, I want to. But the thing is, is like. 
listen, man, this is a this is a government federal job. You got to expect that there's exactly. going to be some pushback. So, and guess what? The entire world is looking at this. What in the love of Christ? What the hell? I mean, this is, uh, dude, if not, even if the, the, the transgender thing, this whole kink activist thing, this is a person who has pictures of people bowing on their knees to them, wearing some kind of crazy spiked shoulder thing with masks on and a guy that has a shirt on that says, damn daddy. And a guy with the It's like something out of wearing, Pulp Fiction. It's, this is craziness. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I it, it's this is this is what we talked about at the very beginning of the of this of this particular episode of like being so woke and so far left that you just turn people off that are like, dude, like seriously, you make me look like fucking evangelical Christian. What do you think those two <laughs> those two federal guards back there? Those officers, what do you think they're thinking? Looking down at this thing, this this guy. They're saying whatever it feels like at the moment. They're saying to each other, dude, if this if this wacko (laughs) has a crazy crowd of insurrectionists, you're fucking taking them, not me. Yeah, I wipe my hands clean of this. Well, hold on a second. Go go back go back to, to that to that article. Uh okay. Can you go back? I think I closed it. I'll find it right here. There we go. Yep. Okay, so... All right, so this guy's position is Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition. So I think the the more troubling part of this whole story is why we actually have a paid position for this in our government i don't know also you have somebody that can't figure out what gender they want to be has to make the decision and the best option of dealing with our nuclear waste i'm I'm sure the guy is incredibly intelligent or i'm sorry i'm sure i'm sure they are incredibly intelligent listen um between the two of us you're the brains i'm the dumb dumb that dropped out of community college but <laughs> i know if i'm supposed to pee standing up or sitting down or if you're gonna put very if you're gonna put uh if you're gonna put lipstick on that day while shaving your peach fuzz well i'm gonna make sure i leave the old soup strainer up top <laughs> yeah, sounds about right i feel like though if it was any other if if you had Mitch McConnell, right, with some chicks wearing bondage gear, people would be like, um, I don't think that's appropriate. But this is okay. Woody? I don't know. I give up. I, I listen, I mean, I, I, it doesn't matter if you're if you're a drag queen, if you're trans or whatever, straight. I mean, from a from a from a business perspective, from a government perspective, 
as a citizen looking to my elected officials, I want them to, to look and act professional. I don't, I, I don't care for a circus. I don't care what your opinion is of one of something one way or another. Exactly. I there want you to be, to be professional because, and, and the reason why is that my tax money that I work my balls off for go to pay your fucking salary. And I expect you to do the job the way you should without any of the drama that goes along with it. You think okay. there's going to be drama along with this I, person? <laughs> fuck knows. Oh, Jesus. Who knows with, the, with this goddamn day and age, to be quite honest. Uh, Listen, I, I, I would love to, if, if I were an elected representative, I would love to go to work in a t-shirt and jeans every day. But you know what? I know, even me, as somebody who dresses down a lot, even I know that is that that that's that's dressing down. It's not really representing your 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 constituents the way you should. That would be inappropriate for a woman to wear. Never mind. Absolutely. I don't know. Absolutely, it's it's very inappropriate. I mean, it's it there when you when you are in a business setting, there is the appropriate dress that you should have for it. And I, I don't mean like an actual dress, but the way you actually should be dressing yourself. You should be professional looking. Period. Not not a fucking circus. Sorry. I agree with you. There's a guy that I work with. You know, we'd see like, you know, if the TV's on the background, you see something like some of the Jerry Springer show and it'd be somebody like, you know, gay or whatever and acting like this overly feminine. It's like, listen, I'm cool with the fact that you're gay, but chicks don't act that way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All, all you're uh, doing is you're, you're, you're just trying to attract attention to yourself and it's negative attention it. is basically what it is. Uh-huh. all right folks that's all i got for tonight you you good you good over there that's all i got but this is one of my favorite songs of all time yeah it's a good song absolutely all right folks he's out peace Sacramento. Sacramento, where you at?